gremlins and the goblins are busy tonight. Have you ever, uh, there's this, I forget what the second word is. There's this game called like Katamari Domichi or something like that. Uh-huh. It's like this octopus thing. No, Katamari. Oh, not Calamari. Right. Where the point of the game is for you to roll things and you just make a bigger, oh, bigger, a bigger, ball bigger ball. Is that the junk? thing with the things on the side of its head? Is I that think the, so. Yeah, okay, no, I've never So that's it. that's kind of what it sounds like Mason is doing in your living room. I you guess, just like whatever. rolled your couch and then like your table onto it and now like when, the contents of the fridge. Yes, when a level three tiefling comes crashing through the ceiling, then yeah. we'll know what's going on. Hey, critical hitters, critical hitters, critters. Critters. I, I think that's what we're going to start calling people these days, Rodrigo. That's pretty succinct. Hey, everyone. Welcome to uh, Critical Hit, a major spoilers Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Your uh, Game Master... What are we calling this one? Game Master Sessions? Workshop. Workshops. So last time we talked about... Um, what are we calling this show again? I don't know. What, what is this show about Major again? Critical Workshop. Critical Ladders. Uh, so we were talking about things that the, the GM or the Dungeon Master needs to know. And last time we kind of built up the encounters and we set up with our uh, monsters and we kind of built a skills challenge, which I might just tweak slightly mm-hmm. uh, to see about this. I'm thinking maybe more of a pattern that they have to recognize in order to, uh, in that skills challenge to to do that. Okay. But we'll see. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks. These are some evolving things. Even if we just do a skills challenge where they have to search the stuff and, uh, as we said before, fail, they face the monster. If not, they don't face the monster. So this episode, we want to sit down and we want to talk about, you know, the game day. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to put on our little black marks under our eyes. Right. We're going to tape up our fingers so that, you know, we don't suffer an unnecessary sprain or mm-hmm. our wrists so that we don't accidentally throw our... Uh, throw the dice wrong and throw everything out of whack. Today we want to talk about what do we need to do as a game master to prepare for the day's event or Mm -hmm. the evening's event or the hour event or whatever it might be. So what are the things that, let's just talk about what are the things that the dungeon master needs to bring to the table? Okay. Um, First off, a table. Ah, that would be very good. Fortunately, yes. we have one of those. Nice, nice. You're already way ahead excellent, of the curve here, Excellent, excellent. Um, things that the Dungeon Master needs to bring is, are um, his own dice. Right. Uh, pencil and paper, because you're going to want to scribble down notes as you go. Right. Um, obviously, anything that you've already prepared, your own notes. Right. Um, so about all these, the encounters. Yeah, all, all these things that we've, that we've already talked about. Talked about. Um, and other than that, yourself, I mean, uh, presumably you need to bring the books that you've been using so you can reference them. Right. Which we but have the I wouldn't, collection. I also don't want to say as a game master is your responsibility to bring all these books or to have all these books because a lot of groups, the game master, or there might be a guy who's usually the game master and he has all the books. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, one of the other guys wants to run, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to without all the books. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, we talked about these monsters last time. Do we need mm-hmm. to print out, you know, what their, you know, their little stats sheet? Do we need to write all that stuff down? What do we need to do? Because, you know, some of this stuff, and I don't have the book right here in front of me, but some of the stuff has like, you know, on this dice roll, they get a recharge of their power. Or well, unless you somehow uh, can think that you can memorize it all before mm-hmm. the the event, I would say yes, write it down. Or make bookmarks in the monster manuals. Mm-hmm. The The problem with that is that then you'll be flipping back and forward between pages. Right. You might forget. You might look at the wrong monster. So what I, what I personally do is I go to 
once I find the monsters that I'm going to use, mm-hmm. and because I'm subscribed to the D&D Insider, That's what I, was I go to the up. Insider, yeah. look up the monster, copy down the stuff, just copy and paste it. And since I run everything out of my computer anyway, mm-hmm. I just do it that way. But you can also just copy it onto a Word document okay. and print it out. So, and that's what I was getting to. How valuable is the uh, D&D Insider when you're running a campaign from the from the game master's perspective. When I mean, we've seen it from the player's perspective. Anytime we need to find out what a particular power is or a spell is, mm-hmm. Rob has been there just quickly calling it up yep. and saying, oh, here's the information you need. From a game master's perspective, I would say that it's equally important. You definitely don't need it. You really? don't. Okay. You don't absolutely one hundred percent need it. Okay. I've I used to run games without a computer. I could mm-hmm. go back to running games without a computer, and the only thing that I would lose would probably be the amount of time that I spend searching through stuff as opposed to typing in something into a field. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that's about it. Um, that said, it does make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And if somehow you've acquired completely legal PDFs of uh, the <laughs> books, and at one time, that, especially in yeah. the three point five edition and before. There were legal PDFs made of that. But and there actually, there, there, there were, I believe, legal PDFs of the first handful of books for 4th edition. Oh, okay. And it just was so rampantly pirated that they said no more. Yeah, which was a shame. But hey. Well, it also, it also caught into what they were trying to do with the insider. Right. So, right. you know, it makes sense. I think it, previous, other than like the, the, the constant... Uh, fear that oh god we're gonna lose money thing um other than that um previous and even current rpg companies tend to be okay with piracy because especially if they're lesser known rpg companies it gets people right. to know their games right, a little right. easier but right. they never out and out say you know steal this book right 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 well you know it's funny because here we're giving away we're up to like i don't know 60 maybe episodes of mm-hmm. free Free entertainment for free our listeners. content. And, you know, if, if people would like to contribute, all That's they have right. to do is head over to Majorspoilers.com, click on that little Make a Donation button, and uh, donate to the cause so we can keep bringing you fine programs like this. It's Pledge Week here That's at right. uh, Critical Hit. And we'll return you to a regularly <laughs> scheduled podcast after this quick word. From our sponsor. Now, From um, Daniel O'Donnell. I, <laughs> you have to be PBS person to know that, right? Yeah. Um, I have mentioned before on the podcast that I have that Dungeon Master screen. Mm-hmm. And it's a little fourfold system. Mm-hmm. You stand up, you can put it in front of you so you can roll all your dice and have all your notes behind you and all of that stuff. While that may be nice, and in your case, you've got a computer screen that mm-hmm. we can't see. But the nice thing about this Dungeon Master's screen is that it's got notes on the inside about mm-hmm. procedures and what you should do and, and how you set up encounters. And uh, it's got checks and all these other kinds of numerical tabs on it. Something like that handy to have? Definitely. Although I think specifically the Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition Dungeon Master screen has a couple of things that Errata has already changed. Ah, Curse so, you. so before you go with that, you might want to double check that every that all the stuff is current, and uh, the way that you can currently do that is look up the stuff and the Dungeon Master's Guide two mm-hmm. and the Player's Handbook two, mm-hmm. uh, both of which have printed the most relevant errata, um, mostly as far as a couple skill goes and as far as skill challenges. Okay, excellent. So that might be helpful there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can always go to Wizard's site as well. And, yeah, they post that stuff for there. free. Yep, yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've got some dice. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got our notes, pen yep. and paper. Yep. We've got our screen, all of our notes about our monsters. Mm-hmm. We hopefully have our encounter kind of written out, especially if there's important dialogue stuff that needs to be uh, taken care of, if you can't remember it in your head. Well, that's an important thing to talk about. Okay. Um, and that doesn't necessarily fall on their notes or, or what you bring to the table, but it's something that you need to to hammer out is who, like, what information needs to be given to the players mm-hmm. and who is available to give that information to them. Right. And I and you need to come up with unless you're really good at coming up with this stuff on the fly. And if this is your first game, even if you're really good at coming up with this stuff on the fly, I would say don't mm-hmm. write it down. Come up with what NPCs are going to be giving out this information, um, and who they are, what they're about, what race, class. So do you need you do need to go in through all of that stuff. Yes, like absolutely, this because sixty eight year old crone comes out of the background. Yo, boys, I remember back in the art. Choose when people used to fear the humble logs, right? And so then yep. they say, "Who oh, you know? Do you need you need to describe that person? Where were you at in the Otto's old lady?" And so you need to have a backstory for that character. Yep, even if it's just a little bit, or you know, a way out. Well, I have the Alzheimer's, so I don't yeah. remember most of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was on drugs yeah, yeah. pretty much every day. <laughs> I had the magic mushrooms at that time. Yep. So, and then poof, she disappeared in a puff of smoke. And and this is important. And, and I've I've brought this up before. Um, but it's important that you have all this stuff down that you've given each of these characters names because right. you. Although most players, or maybe not most players, but most of the players that I play with will be okay with you pausing for a second to come up with a name for an NPC. Mm-hmm. First off, it you know it, it it jars you out of the narrative a little bit, right? And it kind of a little bit makes it seem like you don't have your shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to have that together, right? Um, the other important thing is is that you, when you write an NPC's name or the name of a location or a town or something like that. That you actually, when you got some time alone, say it out loud to yourself. Because sometimes you can write stuff out and you don't realize it. Yeah, that reads really cool. And then when you say it out loud, you're saying something stupid. Right, right. This has happened multiple times in the games that I've run. For example, very recently, and, and, and granted, I don't think Rob was aware of this, but... He made very quickly made an anagram of something and called the town that. Right. And he accidentally ended up calling that town Lahayim, <laughs> which from then on, and, and it was a dwarven city. So from then on, we just kept saying that all the dwarves were Jewish. <laughs> and especially with a group that is kind of funny that way, like we have, it's important to not give the players that in because right, it'll, it'll it just become distracted. Right. Um, Likewise, I had a player, um, we were playing this other game, and he came up with an awesome name for his character, which was like, it had a hyphen in the middle, and it was like, V-Y-R, like, J-N or something like that. Right. But when he said it out loud, it was Virgin. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, have you said that name out loud? Oh, oh, no, I think I'm going to change my name. Okay, good idea. So probably a good idea to keep the name simple, John Smith. Bob Howard. Well, and that's another important thing. Trollarg, the Gar, Byrobarg. You, the the names that your NPCs have do a lot of work towards establishing the world that you live in. Yeah. If you encounter a human named John, Mm -hmm. they might not think too much of it. If you encounter a dwarf that is also named John, 
what does that say about the world? It says, well, dwarves and humans have the same names. Right. And that gives you something about the world. Yeah. Maybe adventurers have acculturated to the point where now a human can have a dwarf name and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing the other way around. If you uh, encounter a dwarf and his name is, I don't know. Craven's Dorn. Craven's Dorn Thunderface. Yes. Right? Um, and no human has a name like that. All the humans do have kind of simple monosyllabic names. Right. Like John. Bill. Bill. The Baker. That's another thing, um, is that do you want to have names that are used in the real world? Because that that itself can actually jar people out of it, yeah, but it true. also means that you have to come up with a non-real world name for everybody that the party meets. Yeah, that's true. Um, what ends up, what helps a lot in that sense is the names of groups that the players aren't too familiar with, like, yeah. or that already sound fantasy-like, like Scandinavian names. I actually, on this forums, I used to talk with the Scandinavian guy, and he said that it was hilarious how all of these RPGs would come out of the United States, and to him, he would read them, and they all had names like Steve, yeah, Frank, yeah, 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 yeah. Peter... Because they would just look for cool names like Fjorn. Right. And call the characters that, which Ludafisk. to them is like, you know, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Ludafisk would probably not be a good name for Probably a not. So, and likewise titles. You wouldn't want to go uh, Craven, the Archvillain. Right, right. Right, you don't want to make it Unless that. you want it to be really over the top, and you probably have you ever, don't. Have you ever done a comedy campaign where it's where um, it's filled with those kinds of things where it's, uh, not a not a full-on campaign all of a sudden um, the encounter is no one expects the spanish inquisition and you must fight a bunch of battle monks or something um not not quite and and i tried to stay away from pop culture references in my games which just sure, sure. basically makes me think that i'm in hell <laughs> um that at some point i got run over by a truck or something yeah um but uh there's been points in the games where you can have that comedy, where you are facing basically a still in-world, in-continuity version of Dark Helmet. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy who has come into power and is actually kind of a powerful villain, but kind of a dumbass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can just... Play with that. Play that and and have the characters deal with that and let that little bit of comedy come out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So need to have our stuff together as far as the NPCs go Mm -hmm. and, and really kind of play that out especially if there's i i guess i would say anybody that the party is potentially going to encounter yes. even if they don't encounter that person you need to have it also doesn't the hurt. minor stuff built up even if it's just the the woman at the uh, at the bread stand exactly it also doesn't hurt to have just a list of names bertha is her just name. like rent yeah that's good just like random names of people that the party might meet right because that way somebody's like you can just you're like oh well the road's not very traveled but every once in a while you guys meet something Mm -hmm. now the players might just roll with that or they say like okay well when we meet someone i want to talk to them right and then bam you need a name for that guy probably i mean a lot of time you can get away with it but if the players actually ask them their names you want to have something just floating around and ready yeah simon would be a guy and he's exactly not not very brilliant that you meet on the way to the fair so you know, it, it it seems to me that you're actually pretty good at just on the spot coming up with a name, but still right. you want to have a few written down. Sure, sure, sure. Just okay. because it's your first rodeo. Right, exactly. We don't want to 
have the bulls run us over. Exactly. Okay, so we've kind of talked before in some of the other episodes, but without making the listeners go back and listen to these pods that we've cast. Mm-hmm. Unless you'd re-download them again from a different computer than and, we do. And, when you know, we actually wouldn't mind if you did that. Yeah. Um, what about figures? Uh-huh. Do we need um, them? Yes. For, if you're going to run Dungeons & Dragons... Pretty much any edition. People say like, well, I don't like 4th edition because it's so reliant on miniatures. Go back and read the rules for 3rd edition. 3rd edition was reliant on miniatures. 2nd edition was reliant on miniatures. 1st edition was reliant on miniatures. People that say previous editions weren't as reliant in miniatures were not playing the game the ga- the way the game was written, which is fine if you have house rules, right. but this is always the way Dungeons & Dragons has been. But I guess the, the point is, I guess maybe what those people are saying is you don't need to buy... Correct. The Wizards of the Coast. You don't miniatures. need to go out and buy and spend fourteen bucks on three miniatures. You could spend fourteen bucks on four minifigs for Legos and have right. those be your. And your that's characters. actually what we used to do before we started amassing a, a miniatures collection. I just had people bring in stuff that they had, and we used um, Warhammer painted yeah. miniatures, and we mm-hmm. used Legos. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody was the hat from Monopoly. Exactly. No, exactly. You did <laughs> stuff like that. Like we used to represent our characters any way we could. Like. I used to have, like, uh, this, like, weird, like, little cow skull. Yeah. And that was my character a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay, so we need those, and so we need one for each of the monsters Mm -hmm. that we're going to have, and for each of the characters. Now, here in our game that we play, you provide all the miniatures, including our own character miniatures. Mm -hmm. Does that normally how it goes, or should you as a game master expect your players to bring their own miniatures this is to, that's, the, to the to the table. That's something that has to be agreed upon. Again, like I said, every gamer group is a weird little pocket mm-hmm. dimension all mm-hmm. its own. So mm-hmm. you have to agree on these things ahead of time, and you have to be aware that if you're coming into a new gaming group, putting together a gaming group, or someone new is coming into your gaming group, you have to talk this stuff out. Yeah, because the first time because, that we were playing, I didn't have any dice, I didn't have any rule books, mm-hmm. and that was stuff that you said, okay, well. Here, Stephen, here's some miniatures, here's a dice that you can use for these initial uh, series of four or five mm-hmm. episodes that we did until I got my own, yep. uh, masked my own OCD collection of miniatures. We we have we have players in our, like, in, like, the larger area, like, the, the, the outer cloud of our group. Right. Um, that don't own any of the books or any miniatures or any dice, and they still come by and play, and we just let them borrow them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, chances are you're not going to meet a, a game master who's, like, completely overbearing about, like, no, you must bring your own miniature. Right. But a lot of players go out, find a miniature that goes really well with their character if they're in an ongoing game and say, yeah. this is the one. And then, you know, they just bring it to game and then just take it back. I guess for me, part of the reality or part of the realism of bringing this little gaming to life is to make sure that if we're if we're dealing with um, a, a knoll hunt master, mm-hmm. I want my miniature to be a knoll, right. not a werewolf. Right, and that's all, that seems to be really impossible to do because originally it when is. this was going to be goblins, I was looking all over eBay looking for little goblin oh, miniatures, yes. and you'd be it's I was I was going to say hard to do that. I was going to say you must just like 
I think part of the reason why it's taken you a while to remember everything that Orem can do is because you're spending so much computing power, like overriding the miniatures yes. in your yes. brain because I'm, they don't yes. look like the stuff they're supposed to be. And of course, with my memory, they're half pixelated. Yeah. A couple of them have porn stars in place of. Yeah. You know, in place it's of very legs. distracting. It's really weird. It's very just distracting. There's Mikatan one porn legs. star on one, yeah. on one leg and another porn star on the other leg. It's all the same porn so, star. So just use whatever miniatures you have to represent the monster mm-hmm. except for what if you have a double size monster then you right. probably if you have a large monster a large figure that you want a large miniature or you know a a a roll of uh quarters yeah that takes up four squares on the mm-hmm. grid and that's another thing is that you need some sort of grid that's what i was coming to um, next do we need just a little piece of graph paper will that work you can do with a little piece of graph paper um although then the miniatures will have to be very small <laughs> Um, or you can buy vinyl mats like the one I have online, yeah. or you can buy dungeon tiles and, and yeah. And so let's a, talk a, about the different ones. So we have the vinyl mat, like what you have. Mm-hmm. I have kind of one that I don't know if it's a Wizards of the Coast approved one or not, but it's one that you can use dry erase markers or other kind of markers on it, and it folds out. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of problem because you know it unfolds kind of unevenly, but it's right. a twenty by twenty grid, mm-hmm. which seems to be the regular size that most gaming mats are is 20 by 20 that seems to be correct right yeah um then you have dungeon tiles mm-hmm. and dnd brian is all about the dungeon tiles right yep, that's that's his preferred method of putting why, together why does he like using the dungeon tiles and why might a listener or a new game master just want to consider dungeon tiles um i've got a set of them and to be honest with you um it's kind of hard unless you have multiple sets to kind of build yeah. something the way you want. Dungeon tiles have their advantages and their disadvantages. The the big advantage is that um, you can build a little bit more uh, kind of uh, slightly more dynamic maps um, than if you are on a map because then all the blank spaces are actually literally just blank. Right. Um, there's less room for confusion mm-hmm. for players, like moving their character here, and then you're having to say, oh, no, that's a wall. You yeah, because you can that, draw that there. And then them being like, rah, 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 this changes my whole strategy, and, and it reduces problems like that. The disadvantages of dungeon tiles are, A, you have to buy them, and you have to right. keep buying different sets so that you have yeah. everything that you would ever want to have. Right. Um, B, they don't latch together mm-hmm. so somebody bumps the table just and you know people are going to be moving their miniatures around mm-hmm. so somebody might move their miniature bump the thing and then you have to think oh well where did that go exactly which two squares was that connected to kind of thing right now there are some other ones out there and these are the ones that i've kind of played around with and there's a new set that i want to check out and i'm trying to find it off the off of my bookmarks really quick but it's there's two different companies that do these. Uh, I think one is Red Dragon Games, I think, is one mm-hmm. of them. And what they do is they give you these little printouts of a 3D model. And so mm-hmm. you print out this on, like, heavy cardstock paper, mm-hmm. and then you cut it, and then you fold it, and you can build uh, a three-dimensional mm-hmm. dungeon. And in some of these, and this other one that I'm looking at uh, heavily, you can actually build ones that have multiple levels, and you just right. take them off, and these all interlock with one another. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, if you're trying to build a dungeon that has a wall on both sides, you actually build a physical space for these miniatures to walk down so that you never run into any kind of question of, can two people fit side by side in this? Right. How much room does line this of take effect, up? Line like, of, yeah. Yeah, line of sight issues are all taken care of. Mm-hmm. 
what are your opinions on those? You've you've seen some of the ones yeah. that I've built before. Um, I think it's great if you're willing to spend uh, well, actually, three weekends putting yes, putting everything yes. you'll ever need together. Guess what you're going to do later tonight? Um, go home, <laughs> hopefully. Um, I've got this little back room where you'll be folding all you. Long. You really don't pay me enough for that. <laughs> um, pay you? What? Ex- that's, that's what I'm getting at. Um, but uh, and now I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, it's it's great for determining that kind of thing, but it's really time consuming. Now, if you're the kind of person that just likes paperwork in general, then go nuts. And it really, they really are good. I mean, this other set that I'm looking at are really, I think, even higher detailed than I think, and again, I, I may be wrong on these Red Dragon Games one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually have a template, and this is the problem that I had with the first set that I was using, was you actually have to get out and you have to cut these on the lines yourself. This other company actually gives you a template that you can put into one of these uh, paper cutters that uh, nice. craftspeople use, like my wife has one of these things. Nice. So I'm actually going to see if the template will work with her cutter, because then all you do is feed the cardstock through nice. after you've printed it, and it automatically does all the sharp cuts for you. I don't know if it does the scoring for the fold points, mm-hmm. points, but if it does, hey, bingo, then we can crank these things out really well. Yeah. As far as the time commitment, though, of building these things, and you do have to build quite a bit and a variety. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used anything like this in a gameplay? And what are some advantages and disadvantages of that beyond, like we said, the sight line and some of those other things? Um, I haven't used them too extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, they've somebody has brought in things that they have already put together, and we've used them. Um, other than the fact that it looks really cool, yeah, I see no real advantage to them. Really? Again, if it's if it's your bag, if you want to put them together, if you want to spend the time and have this like super cool looking modular dungeon and for the love of God, make a modular dungeon. Yes, Otherwise, yes, every yes, dungeon yes. you play in is going to look exactly the same. Yes. The players will know the layout of it, even if their even if their characters don't. It's very hard for people to uh, not have out of game. Yeah, and that's the cool knowledge. thing about this is you've got like a four by four hallway, or you've got a wall that's a you know four or two squares long, and then you can just build it. And you've got corner pieces and curve pieces and those kinds of things. And the other the other slight issue with that is that even more so than dungeon tiles, because it takes so much more time and effort to do, you will f- sometimes find yourself saying, man, oh man, I wish this room was one square yeah, larger, larger in every yeah. direction. Yes. There's no way for me to do that at this point. I'm right. just stuck with what I have. Whereas right. if you have a mat, you you know, as long as it's within the confines of the mat, you can do it. And if you have a uh, um, dungeon tiles, it's easier to just add more tiles. Right. Um, also, there's a matter of storage. Yes. Which means if you have three-dimensional pieces, you're going to want to store them in such a way that they don't become two-dimensional before <laughs> your next game. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's... So there's that issue. That kind of, though, brings us up to this last grouping of items that you could use and that's this company called dwarven forge who actually build these polystone elements they're just like the paper craft ones but they're you know heavy and big and they interlock and it's got textured i mean real texture on all mm-hmm. the tiles and you can buy these little you know like a bookcase you can buy all these little miniature bookcases to right. populate your stuff problem with this is they are damn expensive oh, yeah. i mean really expensive like a set of uh, i i could look here really quick um just their classic dungeon set uh which has 
room and passage set, 119 bucks, and it looks like it has maybe about 25 pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lot. Yeah. Well, for 119 dollars. And and here's the thing. So you're so into like that 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 realism of having your minis in this right. place and right. having it all interlock and something. It, that you know, if you're the kind of person that needs to have such uh, true, su- such like truth in your miniatures, mm-hmm. you will never have a forest encounter. Well, they actually, well, the papercraft ones actually do have forests that you can build. Sure, the uh, the dwarven forge people don't have the forest ones. They have a cool but, lake one, but yeah, yeah, you're right. But but that's what I'm saying is, you know, it, you lose a lot of versatility. Yes, and chances are you're not gonna want to do half dwarf forge and half yeah, dungeon yeah. tiles yeah. although you might have to if you just want your right encounter to, to like spiral out of yeah, yeah. you know some caverns or whatever right so there's a lot of stuff one thing that we haven't talked about is that there are a few programs out there oh yeah that allow you to do this electronically and oh. if you have say a big screen tv and can hook up your laptop to it mm-hmm. you can do this uh electronically or if you're uber geeky uh-huh. and you can get Microsoft to send you one of their gaming tables, I, I, MIT has put together this great software that runs on their uh, their Surface uh, entertainment yeah, I don't, system. I don't think that, that looks software so is, awesome. Yeah, it does look awesome. I don't think it's complete yet. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, think even it is. in the beta, yeah. like or in the in the video that that we saw, I was like, "Ooh, look at all this awesome stuff we can do!" And then like they spent ten minutes just being like, "Click, click, click, yeah, click, yeah, click." Yeah. How do I do this yeah, again? That, that actually, you know the. And people were asking about, well, how do you play at a distance? And and we've had many listeners that have written to us and said, hey, have you tried out X software that allows mm-hmm. you to build your map and show it to people? Or you can collaboratively all go on with this one piece of software and you can reveal sections of the map at a time so mm-hmm. everybody doesn't have everything exposed in, at the same time. That's a great idea. Or like you said, if you have a big screen monitor, projector, something that you could do, that would be kind of neat too. And again, that that's that's a similar Think to dungeon tiles, except that usually you don't have to pay for it. That's true. Um, some of these are free. Some of them are free to try, and then you pay for them. Um, but there's also the issue that all of these are being developed largely independently, right? By people who are not being paid to develop them, right? So this one over here allows you to do this but doesn't allow you to do this other thing right and that's the that's true for each one that you will find so it takes a lot more shopping around um it also uh you know there's there's a lot to be said for just being able to pick something and moving it somewhere else and sometimes the software will not understand simple things like just moving something and and not snapping it to a grid and things like that. I was just trying to look through all the uh, variety of emails that our listeners have sent us over the last year, well, trying just to find filter some out the ones with the cuss words, <laughs> and that'll make it a lot easier. Well, is what considering I find. they all start off with "dear assholes," yeah. no. <laughs> uh, uh, I was trying to find something specific uh, for this. Um, let me try program. Let's see. D and D program suggestions. So here we have one from Mike Loki Jester who says, um, Ventrilo, which is a VoIP uh, chat program and RP tools, which I've seen a lot of people recommend Mm -hmm. is RP tools. Uh, and then uh, of course some other stuff as well, but RP tools is the one that a lot of people uh, say again and again and again is one that they that they've used. Yeah, you've never used that though. I, right? I haven't, and I've been meaning to just download it and try it out, but I'd really just 
they have not have had time. time. Yeah, we're busy in our day to days. We don't go to college or high school or anything like that anymore. Yeah. So, or at least not in the uh, student capacity. So. Right. Right. All right. So, the, just in the just in the weird guy hanging out at the bars capacity. <laughs> How much money should you be willing to spend as a game master to set up a game for you and your friends? Two paychecks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gee, all right. So, at the third three three paychecks, I can ask one of the games to marry me. That's right. Um, only as much as you're comfortable with. Honestly, like, well, do not say, break the bank. So you go uh, at the store that we go to where most of our miniatures are available. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy a miniature set for like 20 bucks, I think, that has like, and this is a monster set, and it's got like maybe four or eight monsters, depending on which set you're buying. Right. Then there's a starter kit that might have some heroes in it. That's another 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. You figure the the threepedia of Dungeon Master, Player's Guide, and Monster Manual 1 Sells for what, like $35 or something for that complete set, I want to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Matt is going to cost you. How much did you pay for your mat? Um, I think I paid like maybe $25, $30 for it. Okay, so we're looking at Um, easily, over time, about $200. And this is important. There's a lot of stuff that you can find. I got my mat from Chessex. Chessex is one of the companies that does like tons of of gaming stuff. Right. If you have just a random pound of dice that you got, you probably got it from Chessex. And if you didn't, most of the dice were probably put out by Chessex. Yeah. They don't sell usually mats that have problems with them Mm -hmm. that, you know, didn't pass quality control for one reason or another. Right. But they do sell them to other people for them to sell at a discount. (laughs) Okay. So you can find a slightly aberrant mat for like half the price. Oh, okay. So is that why the one that you always use looks like there's a there's a fly that's been smushed and spread across it across the uh, five no, squares? No, that's just because when you roll it, that actually makes for a really <laughs> long fly sweater. And, you know, the more leverage you have, the less time the fly has to fly away. <laughs> okay, so um, anything else that we need prepping to take with us on game day that we may have forgotten? Uh, yes. Before you get into the game... Let's you you need to spend a certain amount of time just running through all this stuff in your head. Right. Hopefully not right before the game. Okay. And then right before the game, you need to take some time to realize or and, and to, to to get your mind square into, you know, what the point of the game is, what you're gonna do for the players, what you want the players to do, mm-hmm. and to just kind of roll with it. Right. Um don't you don't want to be so into what's going to happen that when it doesn't, you get upset. Mm-hmm. You have to remember who your players are and what you'll be dealing with and things like that. Um, I, sometimes going back and listening to Critical Hit, I think to myself, I am so much more patient than I thought I was. Right. Um, and, you know, that's uh, that's not really a... It's a, the magic a editing. It, it's not really... A, yes, it is. Um, Steven just cuts out all my screaming. <laughs> all of Rodrigo's rants and um, screaming and throwing of dice and crying and, and all of that And stuff. it's just that I've learned to get myself in the zone beforehand so that every time, you know, I hear the same question, I just answer it. Right. And hope that this time it sticks and things right. like that. Yeah. Um. So you just have to... Get yourself into a place before you go in that if your plot doesn't go right, you're not going to get your feelings hurt. That if somebody questions, like, 
the the meta aspect of what you're doing mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt your feelings and then you're just going to be able to roll with it okay uh one question that I, i've had and i don't know, remember if we've talked about it on the show or if we've talked about it off show mm-hmm. but i've always wondered in order to make the gameplay run a little smoother is it a good idea to pre-roll initiative for your monsters or not mm-hmm. and sometimes yes sometimes no depending on who you are I think it's depending on who you are and depending on what. I mean, what if you, I if I pre-rolled initiative, and I mean, we could do it here on the show right now if right. we wanted to. Um, but if we pre-rolled initiative to where people would know that I was honest. But if I let's say a ten, a fifteen, a twenty, mm-hmm. uh, six, and a two, mm-hmm. and didn't tell the players what any of those rolls were, you obviously don't tell what it is. Right. But you ask us for initiative. Will most people be accepting of of the initiative that you say it? And is it important to? Roll initiative for all your monsters. Maybe you do want your heroes to go first. Um, see, that's that's an issue right there, and and this is important. If you're going to be a game master, you have to be aware of this. The game master can cheat. He just straight up. Can I cheat. knew it. Um, so it's up to you how much you actually cheat. If you cheat a lot, then there's no point in actually playing the game. Right. If every dice you roll you fudge right then why not just you know move off the table outside build a little campfire and you just tell them a story mm-hmm. um if you fudge no dice then you run the risk of somebody dying right while doing something stupid that they shouldn't die while doing right 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 um so as a game master you have to find your in between for critical hit i do not fudge anything yeah I don't change the dice rolls. I don't. I roll initiative in front of everybody. D&D Brian is always looking at oh, what yeah. I roll. Yeah. So you can hear his running commentary on like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, God. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every time I roll something, because um, he sits right next to me. Right. Um, technically, Matthew sits right next to me, too, <laughs> but uh, his field of vision is pretty narrow. And he's pretty far away. Um, yeah. Yes. But... Um, so you have to decide how much of that you're going to do. I and and that kind of comes up with the initiative. I find that you might have a way that you want this encounter to go and if you roll initiative ahead of time, the temptation to just say, well, all my monsters rolled a 1. I'm just going to roll a brand new set of initiative so mm. that it's more spread out as mm-hmm. there. And if you're doing that, then you might as well just decide what initiative your monsters go in. Yeah. And if you're doing that, then you might as well just decide what initiative everybody goes in. And now you have taken something away from the players. So in this case, you know, there's a, how do we do deal with an element of surprise? Obviously the initiative tells you what kind of element of surprise that you have. But in this case, mm-hmm. these players are going into a library and if they crack open the door and look through the library, they could see all the commotion going on. And there's the potential that these monsters are busy looking for the item right. and not paying attention to what these uh, heroes are doing. And they could be halfway in the room before anybody goes, what, wait, what, what? Okay. How would we deal with something like that? The way that you deal with something like that, specifically in Dungeons and Dragons, is stealth. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody rolls a stealth check. Everybody would roll a stealth check if they want to roll a stealth check. Okay. Um, everybody... In, in a situation where there might be hostiles, everybody's assumed to be looking around right. at all times. Right. Like you can just say, and 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 let's let's actually take it back one step further. You there's there's a difference between mechanically something happening and uh, narratively something happening. Right. Um, 
you can say you guys walk in and the monsters don't notice you until you're halfway across the room, set yourselves up, mm-hmm. combat starts as normal. Okay. Nobody gets any advantages for surprising the monsters sure. or being surprised. Sure. It's just narratively the monsters go, what? And right. then attack you. Right. Um, How do we deal with that one archer that I want hidden um, up in the balcony? Well, in that case, then you need to prompt the players and say if any of you guys hear some commotion inside the door is slightly cracked if you Mm -hmm. want to get the jump on them you need to roll me a stealth check okay if the players beat any of the monsters Mm -hmm. then you get a surprise round okay and that gives them a chance to go in and do everything first. during that surprise round Everybody that they beat can't act. So at, at the beginning of your surprise round, you roll initiative normally for everybody. Right. But everybody that was surprised can't act. Okay. Now, this means that every player has to beat that monster. Mm-hmm. So if any of the players didn't, for example, if Rob beats every monster, but Matthew beats no monsters, mm-hmm. then there's no okay. surprise round. Okay. All right. Because one monster hurt, each yeah, monster yeah. hurt at least one person. Right, coming. right. Um, as far as the sniper being hidden, what you do is you roll a stealth check for the sniper. Okay. Excuse me. And then compare that to everybody's passive perception. Okay. If the monster beats their passive perception, then it is hidden. Okay. Any of the players whose passive perception is not beat notice the monster. Okay. But then, by that point, it's the same way as the surprise round. Everybody else would not be going, oh, okay, Rodrigo, you don't see that guy, but I do. Well, here's the thing. Technically, they should say, oh, there's a guy up there, everybody get him. And they can during their turn once combat starts. So what you do is, you start combat, and then you say, everybody roll me a perception check. Mm -hmm. Anybody who did not beat it, you can say... um, that that monster has combat advantage against them. Even in somebody's like on their turn, look out over there. Mm-hmm. They don't immediately see the monster. Okay. Now, obviously, after the monster attacks, that doesn't apply anymore because okay. now everybody can tell where he is. Right. Okay. And you would have to roll a new stealth check for that monster to hide mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Another question, kind of going back to maps a little bit, since this is actually a two-tiered environment mm-hmm. that they're in because there's a balcony that encircles the the library. Right. How on a how on a rolled mat do you deal with a two-tiered uh, playing environment usually color okay like you take one color pen and say this is the second floor another mm-hmm. color pen and say this is the first floor okay um, and this is very important and I don't know that we're gonna get to do this tonight but I do want us to go over what you want this encounter to look like right because it's important in an encounter for at least some of the players to be able to reach the second tier right you don't want it to just be completely separate yeah, no, no, and no, no, rely no. on a player having a ranged attack right because one, you know, no, no, you no, no, may no. well have every player come in and yeah. have zero ranged capabilities. Right, right. Uh, I don't have the drawing here in front of me, but I do have a drawing that I have done at one point where, uh, and we've got so many, um, I was going to have obviously the sniper and the uh, hunt master up on the second level. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to have at least two of the characters near and there's two sets of stairs that go up to right. that second balcony so there was going to be someone a, a, a bad guy near those stairs to kind of be a hindrance 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, they are going to have to make their way up those stairs at some point, And then the rest were going to be scattered. There might be one or two up uh, up on the top, some others down. So it was going to be kind of an even dispersal around. There wasn't going to be any clumping. I was going to try to keep from clumping um, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, like here's a group of three because that wouldn't make sense that three of them would be going through one bookcase or anything like that. So imagine – in this case, kind of a long rectangular, not super long rectangular, because this is going to be fairly big. Mm-hmm. Um, windows on the um, on the left side, depending on how you're looking at the map, the left side of the map is going to have windows that go up on that second floor, so there's a lot of light that comes in. Uh, everything else is walled. Um, all, the, uh, all the walls, both top and bottom, have bookcases on them. There are a few tables in the middle for like reading tables as well as from freestanding bookcases that people could take cover behind or could be tipped over depending on. Uh, and then some furniture as well in that room. Okay. Well, and, this is, and here's an important thing. It sounds like there's a lot of stuff in this room. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, you it's are a going working to have, library. You are going to yeah. have to determine uh, mechanical capabilities right. for what each of these things right. do. Yeah. You have I've to have about that, that together. Some of them... You know, some of the stuff might already be turned over because this is a uh, um, building that's been abandoned for some time. So, you know, some of the bookcases might have already been tipped over and they may be uh, difficult terrain as you're trying to work over it. Okay, so what I would say is when you get to the actual physical drawing of this, draw only the things that are actually mechanically relevant. Right, right. And then... Go ahead and describe that. Besides that stuff, there's books everywhere, overturned yeah. tables, all this other stuff. Right. But only the stuff that is actually hindering terrain, that provides cover, that covers line of sight, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, holding up the balcony, there's pillars that can be used for um, hiding behind. So. Well, I, I'm going to say you probably don't want to do probably that. Probably don't want to do that one. No, one. because you want the balcony to just be a straight wall to the balcony. Okay. Because otherwise, how do you represent players being yeah, under another well, character? Well, and that was why I was asking about the two tiers. Yeah, you don't, you want to avoid that situation. Okay. If you're easy going enough. to use I a mean, mat. that's easy enough. It's yeah. easy enough. And I haven't decided whether I'm going to use a mat or whether I'm actually going to take the time to build the whole two-tiered okay. big-ass model or not. I'd like to. But I don't know if I have the time. So you don't have the time. I don't. I don't think you have the time. Uh, just just depends. What what do we have next? Anything else that we need to cover before we need to wrap it up to this episode? Because I think really, if we don't have anything else to cover, then we're pretty much ready for gameplay. I think so. Um, just make sure that you go back and uh, listen through everything we've talked about, and and make sure that you have all your ducks in a row, and then just launch yourself into the uh, unknown. All right. Well, there you go. Oh, yes. Well, one uh, more actually, thing. one more important thing. Okay. Make sure you contact the players well ahead of time. Oh, and, I was going to have and you give do them that, all so. the no. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that. So I'm thinking, you know, in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, probably right about the time this episode hits, the first, mm-hmm. I mean, the first episode in the Dungeon Master series hits, they'll have been contacted and we'll be playing so that okay. they don't have any forward notice or awareness of what's going on. Okay. All right, listeners, thank you so much for uh, for tuning in, and uh, hopefully you're learning something in our gaming uh, Game Master sessions uh, in our workshop, and we'll see how it all plays out next time. If you have any questions, all you have to do is contact us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com, or you can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. We've talked before about some of the excellent articles that Rodrigo has written over on the site, specifically about how to uh, be a good gaming master and how to deal with problem characters or how to deal with certain situations. You might want to go check that out as well as our forums where you can just post anything about Dungeons & Dragons or anything else. You can find that all at Majorspoilers.com. And until next time, 
here's hoping that all of your dice rolls are critical hits.